Thanks for tuning in to the very first episode of the Be Heard podcast. I'm your host, Dean Hutch. Enjoy the show. Today's guest is Mr. Victor Walker. Uh, Vic grew up on Detroit's West Side. He's a friend of family, a longtime friend of my dad's. I believe they uh, met in middle school. Um, Always been a positive and encouraging uh, voice in my life, although I only met him in person uh, roughly two years ago. But uh, Victor was incarcerated in 2000. And he was sentenced to a 20 to 40 year sentence. However, that is far from the end of his story. Um, today, uh, we're talking to a father, a husband, a business owner, um, an intellectual, an artist, a wordsmith, the list goes on. But most importantly, we are talking to a determined individual who literally beat the odds. Oh. And so the reason I started this podcast was with the intention for me, friends and family to just kick back be silly or whatever and while i can still do all those things i think it is my obligation to share insight wisdom and opportunity for those in my community and my friends so with the recent happenings of this uh black lives matter movement the blatant and systemic racism you name it there could not be a more uh appropriate time than now for me to promote positivity within the black community so today we have someone who is empowered and his life reflects it. Welcome to the show. I appreciate Dave. it, Dean. Thanks a lot. How you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Thanks for being here. So um, before we just go off and start with the actual interview, I want to read um, an excerpt that you posted on your social media uh, about a week ago. Uh, first of all, it was on your uh, wedding day. Congratulations. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Um, but the words that you said were so um, inspirational and moving that I just had to share with the guests here sure. today. So here we go. Sure. You said, on this very same day, exactly 20 years ago, I was wrongly convicted and sentenced to serve a 20 to 40 year prison term within the Michigan Department of Corrections. Nevertheless, through countless moments of pain, pressure and perseverance, I ultimately overcame the intense strongholds of an adverse um, system of cruel, constant cultural oppression. And now I stand before all of you as a complete and full grown original man who has all of his personal, professional, and private priorities in a commendable order. As a matter of fact, I have literally gone from lying flat on my back across a cold, hard iron bunk bed to standing firmly upon my two feet (laughs) atop a full-size Rolls Royce phantom, all within the matter of less than two years, and you did it legitimately. Yes, sir. So you said, I don't want to hear from anyone what a person cannot do if they truly apply themselves. For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. A person's motivation must also be associated with their inspiration, flat out. And you can do anything you choose to put your mind to, be it positive or negative. And you said that some may see you as um, arrogant, unhumbled, or maybe even a bit conceited and such. But what they don't know is that until they have paced a couple of miles in your spiritual shoes, you have no idea what it means to be Mr. Walker, all pun intended. Sure. For you can ensure us that most certainly your universal energy or energy mm. is fully in tune with your soul's destiny. Therefore, you said, my reality is only bound by my perspective. And ever since I returned home, I have been consistently consistent at setting goals accomplishing them and doing everything in my power to become more progressive at fulfilling my own life's purpose. And you said, so quite frankly, 
you don't require any validation from any external for- sources, excuse me, in order to establish your physical worth. Worth. You said you are proud of yourself. True story, love and peace. And that is exactly the kind of positivity, empowerment that we need. And that's what I want to show here on this show. True indeed. I definitely appreciate yep. you for, for, for highlighting, you know, that that particular excerpt, because the truth of the matter is, man, um, you know, I've come a long way and I'm not one of those types of people who uh, make excuses for themselves. You know, I, I see a lot of that mm-hmm. when our, within our community. And, you know, I've seen it amongst, you know, my, my peer group as well. Um, you know, I, I won't yep. start this interview off and act as if I was a perfect angel during my childhood. Um, but at the same time, I don't think I was such a, 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 a demon or deviant either. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we all make mistakes right. in life and we all have, you know, consequences to pay for those mistakes. But one, I don't think a person should uh, make up excuses for themselves after they have made such mistakes and had to face those consequences. I think you pick yourself up, you brush yourself off, you accept full responsibility for whatever those circumstances may have been, and you keep it moving because I, I'm like a firm believer in, you know, cre- you create your own circumstances. Now, don't get me wrong. Do I believe that there is a system set in place where there is systemic racism, systemic oppression, right. and all of the other right. external sources that have a tendency to influence how, how we mm-hmm. live and how we, you know, respond in life. Um, those things do exist. Nevertheless, those shouldn't be the things that define you, nor should your mistakes or your shortcomings. You should also um, have a, 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 a inner uh, wherewithal to to push you to to achieve whatever goals you set for yourself. But the truth of the matter is, you cannot achieve any goals if you don't set any. And and that's that's what I had to learn. Absolutely. So that so that that's that's the perfect place to leave off. So my first really my first question is, I want you to um, take us back. So take me back to how old you were when you were convicted. Yeah. What happened? What did you do? What was your mindset like? Really, just suck the scene. Okay. Okay. So. I have to, in order for me to tell you about the incarceration, I have to give you a little bit of history uh, leading up to that particular incarceration. So, okay, I'll go all the way back to when I was maybe 12, 13 years old. You know, I grew up in a very um, comfortable household. Um, I grew up with both of my parents. Um, My my father was a foreman at Chrysler. My mother was a stay-at-home wife, but she also had her own job, and she did things on the side to make, you know, uh, extra money to, to Absolutely, so to be honest, just using your word as a hustler and how we uh use that term within the you know within the streets or sometimes just in the black community, period, it's the person uh-huh. who knows how to generate income, um, as opposed to uh, outside of a traditional or just regular legitimate job. And sometimes mm-hmm. that could consist of negative things, sometimes it consists of positive. Uh, but to be just straight, honest, and real, which you know I saw it come from negative and positive sources. You dig what I'm saying? But at the same time, mm-hmm. um, I was also taught education. I was also taught to, you know, do for yourself when no one else will do for you. I had two parents that would pretty much give me everything in the world, and I was thankful for it. But at the same time, I was taught to hustle and do things on your own. For instance, um, my mother would buy me anything that I wanted honestly, but it was also predicated upon me getting good grades in school. So I did come from a background that taught principles and morals in the house. However, there were certain things that I wanted to, to, to uh, achieve or, or certain things I wanted to obtain that was probably a bit outside of their income range. Um, and so like I might wanted the new Jordans or I may have wanted the new Charles Barkley's or, you know, whatever uh, type of, you know, uh, things were out during that time. And so I was, you know, 
encouraged to get another hustle. And what my hustle was, I used to cut hair and I used to sell candy from the store. I would literally go and purchase candy, you know what I'm saying, from the store at wholesale <laughs> and resell it at a young age. And then uh-huh. the skills of, of being a barber, I started out on my hair, messed up a lot. A lot, lot. But at the same time, I ended up getting it. And before long, I perfected that craft. And I began to, you know, uh, become a barber to a lot of the individuals in the neighborhood. A lot of my close friends and peers and other people, you know, as word of mouth travel. Fast forward a couple of years, though, you know, as I, you know, generated a little extra income, I was one of the quote unquote cool kids. And so with me mm-hmm. being one of the quote unquote cool kids, it attracted different types of uh, friends and, and other influences. And it came to a point where um, I met a young lady at a younger age. I was uh, 15 years old or 14, actually. And uh, she and I became, you know, as children do, a lot mm-hmm. more involved with one another. We became a lot more intimately involved. And before long, I had a child. My son was born when I was 15 years old. And uh, wow. you know, so my mother and my parents, they weren't as hard on me as I thought they were. They just told me, hey, you're just going to have to you have to step your game up, for lack of a better term. And so I began to increase my, 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 my barbering skills and I began to hustle a little bit more. But to make a long story short, um, I began to get off into the streets because I didn't feel as if the money I was making was going to satisfy the type of uh, appetite for certain things that I wanted. And I wanted to be a good provider for my son. And, you know, I have uh-huh. to admit, I made up an excuse when I was younger because I was still in college. You know, I, I did attend, you know, a couple of college courses and I was on the right path. But in my mind, I still didn't feel as though I was providing enough. And so I chose the fast lane um, to 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 generate, you know, income. And as a result, I found myself in some very um, uh, unfortunate situations due to my own behaviors. And mm-hmm. you know, to, to, to link that, what ended up happening, I got further and further off into the streets. Um, and with the type of ambition that I had as just like a regular quote unquote hustler, I applied those skills to my negative behaviors in the street and I became very uh, 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 street successful, to, for lack of a better term. And before long, the things that come along with you being a successful street hustler, um, you know, robberies and, you know, negative things in the streets, it came about. And uh, I unfortunately found myself in a situation where I was striving to protect myself um a situation came about where someone had tried to rob uh my brothers and i because it's not just me it was mm-hmm. just me and my brothers and when that situation occurred naturally retaliation happens but the way that it was uh taken out of context or the way that it was portrayed to police when things got uh rough um the individual and I, I still refuse to say that name to this day, but the individual who mm-hmm. uh, said that I had uh, kidnapped him and harmed him in a way he actually created that story because little did we know he was actually involved with the uh, police officers a little bit more than we anticipated. Found out he was not only an informant for the police officers, but also that uh, unfortunately there were crooked police officers involved in my case and that they had a greater relationship than we intended or we uh, understood at that time. And result. Wow. Uh, you know, I ended up going to court along with my brothers and by us, you know, you know, we, we sometimes get caught up in these street codes and these, uh, these ways of mm-hmm. thinking um, as a street hustler. And, you know, you got the no snitching rule and things of that nature. And I, I actually became a victim of that because instead of me expressing exactly what happened, I took the role of, well, I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to, you know, invoke my right to not say anything on the stand. And as a result, 
a lot of information came out that was not accurate or fabricated even. And uh, with me and my mindset of I'm not just going to say anything and just let it unfold, it unfolded in an unfortunate fashion. And I ended up being sentenced to uh, 20 to 40 years as a result of my silence. And when I got in there, I found myself very uh, hard pressed to learn various different types of information in order to get out. I mean, I actually had to study all types of laws because, you know, I had, you know, dealt with various different lawyers and things of that nature. But uh, unfortunately I, I ended up having to fight for myself to ultimately, you know, gain my, uh, my, my freedom. But yeah. now let, let me ask you this though. Like, so one, well, let's go back to the, you know, the street code. That is a very real thing. Sure. So, let me ask you this: Would you, if you could go back, would you have changed your stance on that? If it meant, if it meant less well, time. Well, to be one hundred percent honest, man, I think, especially how I see things now, um, and me understanding the law as it pertains specifically to individuals in a situation such as mine, I definitely mm -hmm. would have um, reserved my right to uh, tell my side of the story. I would have expressed it wholeheartedly and openly, and got up on the stand and said, "Hey." This didn't happen. This happened, but this didn't happen. And you know, I, I right. don't, you know, I don't, I don't want it to appear as though I like I'm trying to leave out information. I know you have certain questions, and I want you to know that I'm expressing it. Um, so I want to save it for that. But Dean, it is really, mm -hmm. really uh, a situation where all of this could have been prevented. True, indeed. I sold drugs. I was in the street life. I did a lot of things that I'm not proud of. You know, what I'm saying at all. But the way that uh, or, or the manner in which I was incarcerated or the circumstances under which I was incarcerated, I believe were definitely not constitutional. Um, I had mm -hmm. an opportunity to express myself. And so I accept full responsibility for not expressing myself, but as a young black man, and I say this, you know, with all humility as a young black man who is not really educated on the law prior to being involved in a situation such as the one I was in and then being thrown right in you know into the the swing of things where you're in here with all of these you know highly intellectual lawyers and prosecutors and judges and all of these you know representatives of the state you don't really know a lot yep. of the things that you know you should or shouldn't do for instance when i went to my preliminary i was pretty much encouraged to waive my preliminary because um it would get the case going along faster now had i yep. not um you know, uh, waived my preliminary examination, I would have had an opportunity to not only hear the version of events that the uh, alleged victim was going to testify to, but I also would have had an opportunity to rebut those things and accumulate enough evidence, which may have potentially exonerated myself at that point. But being so, I had also known as uh, oh, Nick not, Justice. Not a doubt, not, not a doubt about it. You know what I mean? And so it's kind of yep. like by me not having that type of uh, information available to me or that knowledge, I placed myself further into a situation where I could have been pulled in or, or sucked in for lack of a better term and, uh, you know, just pushed further into the system. So as it went past that initial stage, I found myself falling and falling and falling to the point where, you know, I'll be honest, man, you know, we probably spent, you know, and I'll put it out there like that. I normally just, we probably spent over two or $300,000 just in lawyer fares alone. Yeah, that was my next question. Did you have um? Did you have uh? uh what do you call it? Did you have state um, state now, representation, now, now, or did you let, have now, private representation? That to you, because to be honest, that was another flaw of mine. And you know, as a young guy who was quote unquote street successful, you know, there's a certain degree of mm -hmm. arrogance 
and 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 uh, non-humility that goes along with that. You know, it was a point in time, and I I can say this wholeheartedly now because I've accepted responsibility for these things. It was a point in time when I was, you know, so involved in the streets that I really thought that I was untouchable. I really thought that things couldn't happen to me in such a way that it would put me in a situation that I found myself in. And so um, being as though I had been involved in numerous uh, cases prior, you know, to the one that eventually caused me to become uh. incarcerated, um, it placed me uh-huh. in a situation where I was like, oh, well, this is not going to be nothing. We, I know that this case is not the truth, so I'm not worried about it. It got to the point where I actually didn't, I didn't even hire a lawyer for this case. Not originally. I was like, oh, man, this is nothing. We, I'm just going to go and blow straight through this. And what I found out was that the um, attorney who had represented me um, as, a, as a public defender at that time, I think he did a fairly decent job. It's just that in mm-hmm. time and as I realized, you know, when time, get, you know, after I got convicted and things went further, I realized I was looking through my transcripts. I began, you know, studying and doing research and understanding the law, the language of law myself. I realized he didn't do as much as I thought he did and that I had been so arrogant that I, it's a great possibility that had I had of, um, I'm just going to put it out there like that, spent the money um, in, in mm-hmm. the way that I felt, it, in the way that it should have been done. I could have not only acquired a, a more effective uh, attorney who had, would have provided me with more effective assistance, I probably would have learned some things along the way that would have prevented me from going so far into this case as, as I did. And and like you said about unconstitutional, you know, I'm a pre-law student, sure. so um, a part of my curriculum at Michi- Michigan State has been a lot of research as it relates to public defense in this country, and it is unconstitutional. Sure. Because people are not spending time. They don't have the resources to spend time in a lot of counties on um, indigent citizens, people who may be not able to afford uh, equal justice and advocacy. And they're really just processing cases and throwing out uh, these sentences. There's no doubt about it. And they're getting away with it and getting away with it. So at that point, money, well, this is America, but it's not fair. Money is becoming the key to justice and freedom, and that's just it's, not it's, right. You're absolutely correct. I mean, you have individuals who are currently at this point sitting up in the county jail. You know, notwithstanding, we'll set aside the COVID, the pandemic that's taking place because the courts are really in disarray right now because of that. But let's say pre-COVID, mm-hmm. um, there were situations where people who I personally knew who really didn't have any access to funding to help themselves out or to hire a, a, a retained attorney. And they actually ended up having to take Cobb's pleas or Cobb's agreements um, just yep. as a result of them having been in the county jail so long that they just, with no real resources, I mean, barely even able to, you know, eat a full meal, they're losing weight. You know, they're, you know when, you're, when you're incarcerated, especially in a place like the, the county jail, I say Wayne County Jail because it's the only county jail that I'm really familiar with. Um, but Wayne County Jail, mm-hmm. you're around individuals and you're seeing some, you're exposed to so much that it actually begins to cause a mental breakdown. And I can say that because I'm speaking yes. from experience. I mean, I've sat up in there for yeah. months before. I've actually sat up in there for weeks at a time. And even in that short period of time, the circumstances and the uh, uh, experiences that you're exposed to during that particular time, it can ultimately tear you down because it causes you to think, well, wow, I'm looking at all these individuals around here who are coming back from uh, court and they're getting 20 and 40, you know, 60 year sentences, life sentences. And despite whatever their particular circumstances are in their case, the end result and what you're witnessing and seeing the 
expression and the demeanor and and the 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 the, the overall uh, 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 um. Uh, 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 th- what you're exposed to when you see these people come back is like it ultimately makes you lose hope and so some people are like you know yeah. what I'm going to go ahead and jump on this 15 to 20 years I know they tried to give me life or, or maybe even 40 years but instead of me taking the chance of going in front of this uh, judge or this jury mm-hmm. who uh, I may definitely have a, <laughs> a greater chance of being convicted and getting the full amount of time I'm just going to go ahead and take you know, the lesser of the, the couple of evils that they offer. And that's what you see. Yeah. Yeah. Because as a human being, it is natural to try to just have control Absolutely. of the situation. So, you know, you're going to decide, well, how can I control my destiny? And if I can get the right attitude ahead of myself and not be disappointed, yeah. then that's what I would do. Cause that's what I was just, that's one of my main questions sure. is uh, when I was talking to my dad, I was like, out of all the years when you were writing letters, when you were yeah. called, you were always positive. Absolutely. At least when you when you talked to me, it was always positive. It was always encouraging. And I used to ask him, like, how can you be in that situation mm. and never give up hope? Mm. You know what I'm saying? You, you 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 never nobody ever seen you sweat in that situation. I mean, I know it had to be some hard times, but can you can you talk about what kept you going? What kept you uh, appealing and going to those hearings, even if it was a huge chance that it wasn't going to work in your well, favor? Let, let let me let me say this, Dan, and to be just I have to be straightforward with with this particular question. I'm going to expound on it. Um, But to be honest, all of that comes from within. That is my. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be a bit straightforward with this question. That is a Mm -hmm. very, 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 very rare occurrence um, of an individual as being as positive as I was, and I'm saying that based off of my own experience, again, and being exposed to what some of the things that I saw while I was in there. Don't get me wrong. There are uh, a a few individuals that I was um, affiliated with or had the pleasure of Mm -hmm. knowing who were very positive or even not necessarily positive all the time because I wasn't positive all the time. Let me me tell you that. I wasn't. Okay. I would say the majority of my attitude was positive because to be quite honest, man, I never accepted that sentence that the judge gave me. I never did. Mm. I never accepted it internally. I saw it on paper. I, I, I heard it every time that, you know, I filed a new motion or I would speak with an attorney who may have been representing me at that time. Um, I, 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 I was exposed to it when I, you know, read, you know, because my case is in, a, in many law books. You know, I looked at many mm. different law books where I had to I had to come face to face with the 20 to 40 year prison term. But I never accepted it. And I didn't accept it because I knew in my heart that I was not guilty of the crime that they had convicted me of. But even more so, and most importantly, I knew that I wasn't just going to sit back and stand for that. I literally fought from the time that I went in in August of 2000, which, this was funny, on the 17th of this month will actually be the 20th year. Um, But um, I I never accepted it. And I knew that I was going to do everything in my power to fight to get up out of there even i didn't care if i got out because after a certain period of time it was as if okay this is this is not going how i anticipated but i'm still not going to stop but i had got to the point where i didn't care if i got out three days before it was my time i'm getting out because i know that i wasn't supposed to be there you know and and, and i stood on that i dean i actually had to i had been duped so many times i went through uh four uh attorneys and i mean retained Wow. Um, and a couple of them that were appointed 
So much so to the point we had lost so much money. I say we because I was incarcerated with my my two brothers. Uh -huh. um, but I had actually had to learn the law myself. And I studied every type of law that I could potentially think of. I studied criminal law. I studied civil law. I studied admiralty maritime law. I studied commercial law, business law. Any and I, something that I learned all of it is interconnected. But, you know, that's, that's, that's another thing, story for another conversation. Mm -hmm. But what I did was I learned the language of law. And I learned it is something mm -hmm. completely different than the English language that we speak. And when I began to understand what law really entailed, it began to give me that much more encouragement. I also, during my time of studying, realized that a lot of the policies and a lot of the uh, um, statutes that had been implemented within the state of Michigan specifically, a lot of the judges and um, individuals within the judicial system didn't even stand by some of the things that were actually implemented. And so it placed yep. me in this position like, well, damn, this is pretty much like a dog and pony show. This is not really real. And so in order to really, really be effective and, 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 and be realistically and realistically have an opportunity to regain my freedom, I had to be a bit creative. I had to be a bit clever, but I also had to uh -huh. be a lot more truthful with myself in the sense that this is real. You know, a lot of times yeah. when we, when individuals such as myself, and I've seen a lot of younger guys too, they go to prison or they get sentenced, they are so out of touch with reality that they have just said, well, I'm going to get on back on appeal, or I get on appeal, and they never put any forth any effort at yeah. doing it. And so they ultimately find themselves in there. So to answer your question in short, um, and I'll elaborate you know, on it more, you know, however you uh, choose to, to pose your questions to me, but I never accepted the fact that I was in prison. So that gave me my first bit of encouragement that I was not going to be there. Um, even more so, I, I did, for an extended period of time, I had um, more support, like from, you know, certain family members, especially my mother and my, my, my father, that encouraged me. Mm -hmm. And that was my motivation. And my son, when I went to prison, my son was six years old. You know what I mean? And so yeah. that was more motivation for me than anything to continue pushing forward. And so I knew that in order to um, effectively obtain my freedom with all of my faculties, that's very important. Um, I had to have a positive attitude. Otherwise, I would be like the individuals who I was exposed to on the inside. And so, like, you know, basically, especially in like in my age group, you see people, this is the, I'm, I'm 21. So this is the age where you see people go the way they're going to go. You know, we out of high school, sure. some of us are in college, and life is happening. Sure. And so, you know, what would you say to the average black man from the hood mm. who may be in the, the world or predicament that you were once mm. in? What, what, what do you say to these young brothers coming up right now? I would say, um, effectively, regardless of what your circumstances are, and I know this is going to be hard to just say and, and put everybody in the same boat because everyone has different circumstances and everyone Correct. You know, a lot of people grow up in different ways and, you know, they have different influences and such. But I would just say, ultimately, regardless of what your circumstances are, you have to stand on what you stand on and believe in yourself. And just because something may not necessarily, I'm going to go out on a limb and say this because everybody might not agree with me. But I'm going to say this. Just because you may do something negative in your life, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to continue doing negative. 
Just because mm-hmm. you have done something wrong, that doesn't mean that that mark is on your life forever. You can always change and maneuver and do things that need to be done. Even if to the to the young man or young woman that's actually right now doing something negative and probably have plans on doing it, you know, for a little bit more time that they can see in the foreseeable future. Just always remember that whatever your situation is, you always have the capacity to change it, regardless of, um, again, like the, the systems that are set in place to keep us oppressed or the systems that are set in place to yeah. promote racism and, and violence and a lot of other circumstances that uh, are, are known to hold us back, for lack of a better term. You don't necessarily have to continuously be exposed to those systems just because they're set in place. But at mm-hmm. the same time, I- you have to. You have to believe in yourself just because you're going to have a bunch of naysayers. You're going to have a bunch of people who tell you what you can and can't do. You're going to have people who are close to you that make suggestions that ultimately make you feel uh, um, um, worthless within yourself. But you can't listen to it. If you believe or feel something about yourself that may put you in a direction that you know you need to be going, follow your instinct and your heart. That's that that would be Mm -hmm. my message. And I will also say that, you know, based on what you said, like, I think the most important thing, um, especially in the black community, as it relates to some of the maybe the negative paths we may take, is that you have to understand that everything in life is temporary. Good things are are, are temporary and bad things are temporary. And, and just what you're going through right now is not going to be your end all be all. And that's kind of like what you said. But also another important thing is exposure. Absolutely. A lot of us fall into these ways of thinking and narratives because it's the only thing that we Absolutely. see. And until a child or even a person, a young person, old person, even, sure. until you have seen another way of life, until you have seen someone like yourself in a different uh, circumstance or paradigm like yourself, this is why it's so important for me to have you sure. on here, for the people who may be awaiting the sentencing right sure. now, for those who are, you know, living in a way that they're not proud of right now they can see your story and say i don't have to be like this there are other options for me because they may have seen an uncle a father sure. uh anybody who's going down the same path and they just feel like they got to follow suit because that's all that's offered sure. to them but that is not that's not the reality like you just said the power is within you we are talking about empowerment now my next question is um because you told me that you were open book sure. and something that's i think is probably going to be you know a very important subject is you said um, your son. Sure. How were you able to maintain your relationship with your son? Well, you know, well, you know to, to be quite honest, man, and, and, and I'm going to be straightforward with you. Like I said, I'm an open book. I have no secrets um, in, in relation right. to uh, my life story because I think that if I can tell it in the most productive and truthful way, then people who um, identify with me may be able to find some type of light at the end of the tunnel that they may be going right. through. Um, to be quite honest, the relationship with my son when I first was incarcerated was absolutely great. It was oh, very, wow. very great. My son was a 4.0 student. And I don't mean I don't mm. mean that in the sense of 3.5, 3.6. I mean, literally mm-hmm. all A's 4.0 student. Um, and he and I had a really great relationship. But what I noticed was that over time, with me being transferred to further and further or facilities that were further and further away from home, um, the visits that we once shared became a little bit more spaced out. Um, It Mm -hmm. came a point in time where some of the phone calls 
that he and I have became a little bit more spaced out because over time, you know, I'm going to be honest, you know, I still had some of the um, funding that I had generated for myself prior to me being incarcerated for a long period of time. But after a while, that funding began to decrease because I wasn't living the life that I was once living. And I'm on the inside where it's very, very difficult for me to provide for myself. And so ultimately what that did, it was it prevented me from being able to keep in contact with my son like I once did. And before long, you know, he found himself in some situations. And I think that it was a lack of guidance. He had went to stay with my uh, parents for, for a while. And that was kind of like voluntary just because, you know, they gave me a very strong foundation, you know, as a child. And I thought that that would be helpful with regards to him. But let's be honest, my parents mm-hmm. were getting a little bit older and they had already raised their children. So they weren't going to be as, uh, how can I say it, uh, remarkable uh, on right. him as they were with me in that regard. And so I think after a certain period of time, he began to grow. He turned into his own man at a young age because he was forced to do so, uh, being exposed to the streets. And he found himself in some um, unfortunate situations with the system and um, that that those unfortunate situations exposed him to things that he probably otherwise wouldn't have been exposed to had I been uh, in his life in a more physical uh, 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 manner. But to make a long story short, he and I continued to have as great of a relationship that we possibly could. But I think it was because Mm -hmm. I chose to reach out to my son. I chose to contact him. I chose to have him to come up to visit me. That was how the great part of the relationship um, was with he and I. Unfortunately, at this time, uh, my my son found himself or finds himself now currently incarcerated in the system because some of the bad decision making that he made. And ultimately, Mm -hmm. as his father, who had been through a similar experience, I had an opportunity to speak with him. And to be quite honest, and I'm not just saying this because he's my son, he has... Mm -hmm. um, grown a lot within the last uh, several months just based off of him being exposed to uh, some of the things that I had been exposed to but also because he had my guidance in explaining to him what he was going to witness as well as he saw some of the things that he's exposed to now when he used to come up to visit me but I don't think he thought it was real because he was on the opposite side of the fence. And so now that he's been exposed to it from a realistic perspective, I think that that has a a, a significant um, um, impact on how he's going to be a little bit more productive when he is out here. Because ironically enough, and this just shows you how cycles work. I went to prison when I was 22 years old, right? And he was Mm -hmm. six years old. My son Mm -hmm. found his way, you know, into the system at around the same age. And his son or his daughter, I'm sorry, was seven years old. You understand? Know so wow. it's kind of like it was a cycle that repeated itself um, based off of um, a relationship or lack thereof, but also some of those same external circumstances and forces and social structures that have been set in place to uh, cause that type mm-hmm. of scenario to be a, a bit more apparent. And so, uh, but to answer your original question, our relationship was, was really good from the beginning. But I think over time, it began to deteriorate in the sense of constant interaction. Um, but never the love was lost. I mean, we've always had a really great relationship. I just think over a period of time, um, due to circumstances that were uh, outside of my control and probably out of right. his, we kind of uh, we kind of spread straight away from each other, but eventually came back together. 
Now, could you now could you also just talk about when we when we mention things like the social structure? You know, I have a um, I have a lot of different people that I know. So many people are going to listen to this, and some people might have differing opinions. And just to be clear, when we say things like social structure, when we say things that are out of our control, some people will hear that and they will hear it with a little bit of a resistance. Sure. So when we say things like that about this social oppression, this cultural oppression, could you give a little bit more insight in what you mean okay, by that? Okay, I'll, I'll say this. You know, and like you said, some people may disagree. Some people may have a different perspective because their experiences mm-hmm. are a little bit different. And, and I get it. I don't like to argue. I just have a tendency to express my point of view based off of, of, of either fact or either my own personal experience. For instance, okay, me personally, I think that... Um, the gang culture or street organization culture. I believe that um, the drug culture, I believe that Mm. the violent um, cultures surrounding uh, guns and gun violence, those type of things were not necessarily, um, they didn't just fall out of the sky. Those were things that were designed and imposed on a certain group of people who ultimately carried out whosever agenda it was and ultimately is what we see right now. For instance, gang culture started years ago. But at the same time, now there are, um, I would call them silent influences that cause two groups of individuals to hate one another or despise one another or just oppose one another in some way, form, or fashion. And it allows um, for two individuals who see things differently to oppose each other to such a great degree that... um, Ultimately, it, it, it causes death and, and violence and, and, and other types of um, uh, negativity to be perpetuated in certain neighborhoods. For instance, let's talk about uh, a so, another social structure that's really set in place. You have mm-hmm. what we call, some people call the ghetto, then what you have suburbs. We know when we talk about ghettos, a lot of times it's associated with the inner city. Well, inner cities are less um, funded than per se suburbs. Um, Absolutely, on all on, levels. On all levels. You have a certain group of individuals who may not necessarily be able to obtain a certain type of job because they lack education. They lack education mm-hmm. because the school is underfunded. And if the school yes. is underfunded and they lack education, then they can't get the necessary jobs to provide for their families. If they can't provide for their families in one way, they're going to try to provide for their families in another way. Because let's be honest, I spoke to my, one of my brothers and I was talking to him about this today. Self-preservation is the first law of nature. You have to go out and make sure that yours is good by any means exactly. necessary. And so if now I'm not saying that to say that um, just because, you know, you don't have a, a, a $25 uh, a week, uh, uh, hour paying job that you should go out and sell drugs. I'm not saying that by, by any means. I'm not saying that if you have a $10 job, uh, $10 hour a job, you should go out and sell drugs, sell drugs. But what I am saying is there are certain individuals, mainly black people. I'm, I'm going to put it out there. Mm-hmm. People who live yep. within the inner cities. There's some whites too. Don't get it twisted in some other uh, 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 ethnic groups. But majority black people who live in these inner cities who don't have access to the education or economic uh, 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 um, foundation or, or even, even the social climate. Because if you don't have money, you always got some type of issue within yourself. You're going to be mad. You're going to have some type of hostility because you don't have what you need. And if you have this type of hostility, then you can't effectively interact with other people around you for an extended period of time. And if you don't have the type of educational foundation that you need to even 
uh, uh, provide for your family, then ultimately what that causes in you having children, you ultimately have a mm-hmm. generation of people or children who are growing up and, 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 and they're being exposed to this same type of behavior. For instance, let's, let's talk about the incarceration. We know that mm-hmm. um, even still to this day that um, the way that this, the, 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 the judicial system is set up or the criminal justice system is set up, we know that um, drugs or dr- drug crimes um, disproportionately affect more black people than it do white people. You know what I'm That's a fact. So you have a group of individuals who are more likely to sell drugs, and I'm saying this, you know, just from experience. I don't want to just be blanketed with my statement, but statistically, when you look at it, let's be real. More people, people who are more likely to become drug dealers, drug abusers, drug sellers, interacting with drugs are individuals who lack that education or who lack that economic structure. And what happens is they um, get more time for selling the same amount of drugs or or, or, or possessing the same amount of drugs than, per se, a white person in, in the suburbs. And ultimately, that takes more individuals out of these neighborhoods. For instance, if you go all the way back from the 1960s, when you had individuals such as Black Panthers and other you know, social parties who were all for Black people and all for cultural uh, 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 resolutions and, and, and the building up of our people in that sense, they're no longer here because they've been affected by drugs. They've been affected by a lot of the gun violence. They've been affected by a lot of the things that go on in the neighborhoods um, that we live. And so ultimately, the children who are growing up now, they're not exposed to those great uh, morals and values that we once had that kept our community strong. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? They're not empowered. They're not empowered. They're not empowered at all. You just Let's just look at it from this perspective. I'll give a real, really, really brief example. Right now, um, there is, and I won't give statistics. I like to be accurate with my statistics, but I, I won't give any t- statistics for this particular uh, example I want to give. But let's say right now you have um, women as young as 15, and I can speak for this because I, I was a young father myself, but say 15, 16 years old that are giving birth to children, right? 15, 16 year old woman gives birth to a child. A lot of times they're not going to be with the father. I'm just keeping it real. Um, yes. So that young woman grows up, she has her first child, and I, I, indi- I say underscore first child at 15 or 16, <laughs> right? Okay, so by the time she's, say, 18, she's probably going to be pregnant again. Sometimes, I'm just, that's not blanketed, I'm just giving an example. By mm-hmm. the time that 15-year-old turns 18 years old, she's getting ready to give birth to another child, her other child is three years old. By the time she turns, let's say, 25, right? That first child is going to be about seven. The other child is going to be, you know, growing into be four years old. By the time mm-hmm. she gets around 30, the first child that she had is going to be really old enough to look after that second child. And a lot of the women who are, you know, exposed to some of the cultural um, abnormalities that we are, they have not been equipped with the, 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 the necessary tools to promote their development to become women. Right. So they mm. are still um, at, a, at, a, at a point where they feel like they lost some of their childhood. So they don't want to grow up completely. They still want to be out in the streets or they still yep. want to, you know, do things that they could have done had they not had these children. So now mm-hmm. this old eldest child, which may be now maybe 10 or 12, is now looking after the younger one. 
and mom's still out in the street hanging out, going to the clubs without a man, probably bringing in a couple of other dudes or whatever who may be exposed to her because that's the type of life she's leading, right? And then as she's doing that, she may get pregnant again. Because this, this is something So that now happens. we are number three. This is something that yep. happens. Let's, let's be real. It happens. This is. And so now you have the child who's majority at home by itself watching the other two children while mom is out partying and doing her thing. That child who may not have that mother in the house to constantly cook meals and do things, that child is probably mm. eating, you know, hot corn chips and hot dogs and not really eating noodles. So it gets to the point where that child now turns 13 to 14 years old. Look, man, I got to do something. I got to be, I got to hustle. I got to make some money. I can't be in here. Mom always gone. I got to watch these babies. So now they're young. And not to mention, not to mention that, that, that son or that child now feels like he's less than because he's not living his life and he don't have all the things that he wants. Absolutely. And it becomes a cycle because now that kid is out there in the streets. The father figure that it knows is probably just the various different individuals who that mom deals with. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Probably not necessarily connected to its other uncles or whatever, because sometimes might not even know who the kid's father is. And I'm not, like I said, I'm not being, mm-hmm. I'm not blanketing this. I, this is just an yeah, example. But these are, these are real life situations right? that we all know personally. Exactly. We all can identify exactly. with it. Yes. We all identify yep. with it. And I, I'm using this example because it becomes so out of control that now that team who's probably not even really going to school how they need to, whether it be because they don't want to go to school because they don't necessarily have the proper clothes and they don't want to, you know, they don't want to feel a certain way. They don't want to be a certain way or just because they feel like, look, I can do better. I don't necessarily have to go to school. I can do better making this money on the street. Now they expose themselves to the same um, experiences that our elders have found themselves in. And it's even more worse because we're in a time now where everything revolves. Well, not everything, but it is highly, um, uh, um, energized Dependent. around yep. you know individuals being locked up and, and incarcerated just based off the fact that you know people make more money off of us while we're incarcerated than they do if we're in the school system. No, yeah, and this is and then just, just to talk about this, like this is how you start to get into a survivalistic mentality rather than living. Absolutely, for generations, African Americans in this country have been forced into this survival absolutely very few of us have the luxury of living absolutely and it seems as though the only way to um achieve a real life that you enjoy and having these freedoms comes with the um with pursuing an education and then with pursuing an education pursuing the certain amount of finances so that you can be treated equally in hopes because even though you got an education and although you have money doesn't mean that you will get a fair chance at life in this this is 100 percent true and and we we're exposed to that on a on a consistent basis as well like to be honest like um i'll be honest like you know i'm an iron worker now You, you you know this i've i've found my way out of the uh prison system and i've um applied myself in various different um, areas of professionalism and what I found to be uh, most enjoyable for me at the moment moment outside of you know being an entrepreneur is my job at, as an iron worker and um, I say that because even in this field I'm exposed to mm-hmm. racism in such a way that I never thought I would be at this oh. honestly bro like um, every day I'm on a job uh, I'm, I'm, I work with Local 25 I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a reinforcement uh, 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 apprentice 
at this particular point in time. I'm working my way to be a journeyman eye worker. And so um, I experience things on the job without being too detailed where I could walk by a white person or sometimes even a, a Mexican person or, or a Spanish person or any other ethnic group. I could literally say, hey, mm-hmm. how you doing? They'll look at me like I'm not even supposed to be there, bro. I mean, yeah. like, like seriously, and it's like, well, damn, okay. I know y'all really don't know my story, and I don't really care for you to know my story, but just as mm-hmm. an individual that's in the same group, I'm in the same um, profession, I'm in the same local as you, you could at least give me the decency to say, hey, man, how you doing? You know what I'm saying? I could and, I, and, I, and, I, and I and I would, I would, and I would say that they probably do know your story, and that's why there's a problem. Well, I really believe, you know, for honestly, to be honest with you, Vic, I'm really just now waking up. I've been I've been relatively naive for most of my life. And what I mean by that is, um, although I knew um, that racism exists and although I knew that, um, you know, cultural oppression was a thing in this country um, because I had a positive upbringing and because it was never presented to me in my face. I thought that as long as I do the right thing and as long as I navigate a certain road, I'm going to be cool. But with that comes an unintentional or indirect sacrificing of the people Mm -hmm. around you because then you out for self Mm. and you may succeed, but you have not lifted up any of the people around you to your level or advocated for them. And then once you do that, are you truly successful to wherever you get to? And so... What I mean, what I'm saying by that is like a lot of people in those situations, um, on top of racial issues, mm. may be threatened by you because you've had 20 years, mm. round round about 20 mm. years, in the instance where you were, well, you weren't out of control, but you for the most part were out of control of your sure. destiny. Somehow you got to where they are, sure. and they've had all the freedom in the world that you did. Sure. So even amongst your own people, that can be a problem. Mm. And I'm sure you've seen that indirectly or directly where you've seen, you know, somebody kind of hating on you because you've surpassed them and they've had all the time in the world to be who they want. Let, to be. let, let, me, let me be honest with you about something, man. And, and this is another thing I'll be straightforward about. And I have no problem. Mm-hmm. Like I've spoken with your dad on numerous occasions about these types of situations that we've, we've had long, you know, dialogues about it just because we both recognize and identify with it. But mm-hmm. ever since I was a kid, um, like I said, I came up in a two-parent household and I pretty much got everything that I wanted, you know, as long as I did what I was supposed to do in school and all of that. But um, I've had people who, who have, for lack of a better term, hated on me ever since back then. So it was nothing really new to me. It just came in mm-hmm. different forms and it was in different um, eras of time and it was a different group of individuals that I experienced that energy from. And so I was, even though I was able to identify with that particular energy, it was sometimes difficult for me to accept the individuals that it was coming from. So, so, mm. so, so like right now, I've been home approximately two years. I actually, I'm right. still on parole. I actually get off parole on September 18th, uh, or actually next month. And um, I've seen, and you know, I've rolled through. Um, some of my old in the neighborhoods. Yeah, around. I was over. I was over. I was over there. Uh, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And and yeah. it looks so much more different. Of course, it has gotten so much worse. It, it, I I I honestly couldn't even believe that it was the same area when I came home. But 
Um, I still see some a lot of the individuals who I grew up with and some of the individuals that I've known or associated with or knew of, and they're still doing the exact same thing that they were doing 20 years ago. And it's so, it's kind of heart-wrenching. And it's like, wow, man, like I, I, I can't believe it. But these are stories, and you know, you always hear things through the grapevine, even though I don't even live in that area. I'm in the suburbs now. I, I'm out of the way. And I, I mm-hmm. use that I use that word suburbs just to distinguish, you know, where I was to where I am now, even though I'm still in America, so it really doesn't matter. But I'm I've I've separated myself from some of the um experiences and the environment that once helped cultivate what ultimately led me to go to prison, right? So by me separating myself from that particular um, environment, I still have a connection to it through some of the people that may either still live over there or have a connection to it otherwise. And I hear things. And it's ultimately the fact that I'm, or what they say, uh, 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 I've changed. I'm not keeping it real no more because I'm not in the neighborhood. I'm not doing the same thing that I was doing. So it's like keeping it real. Keeping, keeping it, 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 it real. And, and, and that's what I mean, like the mentality, right? Is that your... I, well, you know, perception is reality. So a person right. who sees things a certain way, then they're going to ultimately feel like that versus I don't get me wrong. I do get a lot of positive compliments and a positive, a lot of positive vibes and, you know, a lot of encouragement and inspiration from other people who um, have, have, you know, kind of like joined me along this journey or just have knowledge about, you know, my journey. I get a lot of positive, so I don't want to negate that. But at the same time, some of the individuals who I actually thought would have been most proud of me for having, excuse me, been down um, in the trenches and been uh, at my worst, for lack of a better term, for so long to see me come home and rise above all of the negative circumstances that are normally attributed to people such as myself who do come home. I'm not actually a negative statistic. I'm one of the low end positive statistics that or individuals within that statistic that should help to inspire mm-hmm. or, or, or let other individuals know that it is possible to come from up under such pressure and still be uh, 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 an effective force within the community or even in, you know, the, the country at large. I don't get that all the time. And it, it was, you know, it was kind of. Like I said, it was kind of disheartening, yep. but I'm used to it, man, and I'll let it be what it is, you know? And I, and I think that's just um, in our community because, once again, going back to that lack of exposure, there sure. is a – we have this habit of being uh, negative or dismissive of anything that we don't quite understand. So mm. because we are threatened or because we don't understand how this person was able to overcome this and still do well – and because I can't figure out what's missing within me, I'd rather mm-hmm. just not acknowledge that person or not mm-hmm. acknowledge the whole situation rather than say, bro, mm-hmm. how did you do it? Have a conversation mm-hmm. like this. I'm trying to mm-hmm. figure out what I'm doing wrong. And it's, not to, mm-hmm. and it's not to say that your life is terrible because you haven't done a certain thing or, you know, we, we should never compare ourselves to the next person. We know, we all are in our own lane. However, wow. you have to acknowledge lack of growth. No you have to be it. honest with yourself and because we have this habit of because of our oppression and because so we have so very few opportunities to feel good, we'll lie to ourselves. Hmm. There's a lot of things that our community is not acknowledging or hmm. a lot of times not even that we don't acknowledge it. We don't have the um, ability to articulate what's happening. Hmm. 
And mm. so there's this constant, you know, kind of mind game. We're going in circles instead of actually making progress. It's the same thing that frustrates me with, you know, uh, African-Americans in politics. You know, mm. we, how do I put this? Um, we have made progress. And in many ways, we have not made progress. Progress, mm-hmm. And that is mm-hmm. simply because we're playing the same game we was playing in the 60s. What yeah. worked in the 60s cannot work now. It just possibly can't because you know why the game changes every time somebody else is elected and the torch is passed. Republicans keep proing up. They're proing up. They're proing up. They're getting smarter and smarter. And here we are still marching, you know, Mm. and although a lot of that is positive and, you know, we are getting some change because honestly, the Black Lives Matter movement that took place this um, this year during this pandemic was the first time I had ever seen black people take something into their own hands in my own lifetime. And I've wow. been here for 20 years. Wow. That's the first time I've ever seen black people say enough is enough. Wow. And, uh, and you know, also, you know, to just talk, talk to you about my naivete or ignorance. Um, when this, when, it, when, the, when, the, when the Black Lives Matter movement first broke out, I was saying things like, oh, that's silly. Why would you do that? And I don't disagree with myself then, but I do critique my perspective because it was ignorant. Mm -hmm. Um, because I am very critical of my own people. And so I was saying, why would you do that? That's crazy. Now, I do think it's crazy to tear up your own neighborhood. Absolutely. I I do believe that what we did was right, and I think that we've had enough. We we, we never will stop having enough, but if you want to really get your point across and you want to talk to the powers that be, you go where they are. But the reality of that situation is, is that we know that we can tear up Detroit, but we mm-hmm. can't tear up Troy. We can't tear up Birmingham and we can't tear up West Bloomfield Hills. Absolutely and not. that's where the true change comes in. The, the true change comes with sacrifice. Mm-hmm. What are black people willing to sacrifice? This is true. And what what and, and I was comparing politics of the black community in the 60s to today. Uh, we're doing the same things, but the difference is that the people who were advocating for us actually were willing to sacrifice. Absolutely. Racism is so... They were actually willing to sacrifice themselves. Exactly. Exactly. They were willing to sacrifice their lives for their children's lives. Yeah. But today, racism... I was going to say racism. Well, racism is elaborate, but at the Mm -hmm. same time, uh, we have been so weakened and not empowered. Once again, you, we, you talked about the Black, the Black Panthers. You talked mm-hmm. about how strong the community was. We don't have that today. And so mm-hmm. since we are not empowered, we don't trust each other because we really don't believe if that we stood up and sacrificed ourselves, there would be any brother or sister beside us willing to sacrifice themselves also. This is so true. what you have is a division in a division. We are divided. We are separate. We are ostracized from this country and then we ostracize within ourselves in our own communities we don't even have communities we have places where we all live together but don't know each other and combat each other and it's it's really it's really horrible and that's a whole another tangent that goes off my my questions but um to take it back into perspective i wanted to ask you um you know even though during your hiatus you were away you still kept your ears to the streets so to speak I sure. want to know when you came home, what was the same and what has changed and did it shock you? Okay. Oh, well, yes, yes, and yes. Uh, first and foremost, um, um, 
to be quite honest, one of the first things that I uh, recognize, well, I recognized this prior to me um, coming home, but what became a lot more apparent yes. to me when interacting with people was that their morals and principles have been reduced dramatically. And what I mean by that is individuals who I've dealt with and who I'm familiar with and who I was close to and just in general, what I noticed was one of the things that my mother and my parents taught me when I was at an early age was that your word is your bond. Mm. One of the main things that I learned and realized is people nowadays will just say anything yep. and do just the opposite. And then we'll have an attitude or look at you with uh, discontent because you choosing to hold them accountable yep. for their own work. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Yep. And it, it, it was it was appalling to me so much so that I began to just kind of like become so distant that, I mean, I try my best to not even really interact with people unless I have to. It is very sad to say, but this is where I am right now. Because some people will have you thinking you crazy. Yes! <laughs> listen, listen, then listen. Now, I'm going to be honest, right? I'm going to be, I'm gonna, we've been, we've keeping it all the way real, right? Yeah. So, I was just exposed to the most abnormal circumstances and reality that I could have ever expected to witness in life, right? Uh What I mean by that is I just came from an environment (laughs) I just came from an environment where I could literally be walking to go and uh, eat lunch or chow as they call it on the other side and see two people get stabbed right in front of me. And I mean, like, brutally stabbed. Mm. And I could literally just walk past it as if I didn't see it. Or even, it's going to sound real, you know, ill, but it's what it is, step right over the person Mm. and keep it moving as if it didn't happen. Why? Because I was in an environment where everything was based off of a certain type of principle. That particular principle that I just illustrated was Mind your own business. That has absolutely nothing to do with you. Mm. Because if you involve yourself in it, you may be subjected to the same type of uh, scenario that you just witnessed somebody else going through, right? Or a situation where a person is so, their mindset is so uh, opposite to what's taking place out here in society that I can literally walk past a guy's room and he's bragging uh, about his footlocker being filled with 250 uh, Irish Spring soaps and maybe, you know, a case of lotion and uh, 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 25 tubes of Vaseline because in there, that's considered economic stability. You know what I mean? So I'm saying that to say that I've been exposed to abnormal things so long that now that I'm on the other side, what once seemed abnormal to me now seems normal. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I'm seeing killings and people robbing people and just I'm seeing so much mayhem on the TV and you know when I happen to sometimes ride through the neighborhood I just seen some stuff or even on social media that it's like wow so this is the new normal huh yeah you know what I'm saying so I, I I see a lot more I see a lot more violence I hate to say that well, I'll say I'm exposed to a lot more maybe because social media is a lot more apparent or or prevalent than it was prior to me having gone in. Um, I also noticed that a lot of business people, 
don't really take their business as serious as they once did. There once was a a a a, a protocol or chain of command, or once again, a a a a, 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 a there was a code of of moral and 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 principalistic decency. Yeah, yeah, it's it's no longer like that. Nope. And and I I think those are some of the things that I immediately, you know, began to recognize. Another thing that I you know picked up on immediately, and you know I noticed that while I was in there too, like the, um, the aspect of, of, of gender, and how mm-hmm. individuals perceive gender, mm-hmm. right? Um, I see sometimes I can walk past a young lady, who I can't really identify from right. a young man, mm-hmm. and hey, to each his own. I have no issues with what anyone chooses to do. But you asked me some of the things that I immediately began to recognize and what was different. Yep. That, the way that the children yes. interact with each other. Children don't even go outside to play really no more. Like, none of that. It's, it's like, wow, man, like, what, 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 what's going on? Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, it's just so different, man. Yeah, it, and, and to believe it or not, even as someone who has been growing up through this, it's also shocking to me. Mm. You know, and I've I've seen it and it's just a lot of different things as it relates to, like you said, the decency. Like I was I was raised by mostly, you know, older people. You know what I'm saying? Right. My, when my, my dad's mother was alive, she had a huge influence in my life. Like I was always Mine too. around. The, <laughs> right, I right. was always around the uncles and the aunties and stuff like that. So I had an upbringing that was relatively old school in comparison. And right. there are a lot of things. And I go like, who... I was going to say who raised y'all, but you know, like, <laughs> right, like right, how right. is this possible that I have such a a disconnect with my own age group and generation? Right, it, right. it, it's really unbelievable. I went to a, I was at the mall last weekend. It was in a store. Um, right. Two girls were at the shoe store. Uh, didn't even acknowledge my presence. Didn't say right. hello. Welcome to Clark's. Uh, can I help you find anything? Had to walk out because even right. if I did want to buy those shoes, you don't you value you so don't value uninvited. my presence or my money. So right. I'll take it elsewhere. It's right. a lot of little subtle things. You know, I went and got coffee this morning, walking down the street in Midtown. Uh, first of all, this pandemic thing, a lot of people are not taking these precautions seriously. Oh, I mean, man. first of all, he doesn't he done have his mask up. Right. He's a, 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 a rather a roomy guy. So he's taking up most of the sidewalk. And right. so I'm trying to go around him. He ain't even move out the way. I, I just, I guess I had to walk in, in the topiaries and in the bushes. Right. <laughs> Because right, right. he's taking up the sidewalks, spreading corona. Right it's, right, it's really just it's crazy out here, and people are, and it almost seems like people are numb, right. like they're they're not really it living. Is. And that's really what I got out of what you said is that it's very similar from the inside and out yeah. here. What you see is more similarities than differences. Right. I, I have to be honest. I, I I I hate to use this word, but I'm going to use it. You know, it's just because. The way that I view things, I think I'm, I'm just very, I, try, I, I strive my best to be as genuine as I possibly can mm-hmm. with myself, whatever my definition of genuine is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I feel like we have reduced ourselves as a culture, community, and as a people in certain ways, uh, some, not all, of course, but to a certain degree of savagery, man. Yes, I mean, I mean, seriously, don't get me wrong. I, I understand that everyone has their perspective and everyone um, who has a perspective 
their perspective may be different in which they express it, right? But I'll, I'll take this song, I'll take this particular example. When I think of a savage, I think of an uncivilized person, okay. period. That's what a savage is to me. Of course, a little bit more defined and detailed as you go down the line of continuum, but for the most part, it's an uncivilized scenario. Mm-hmm. So when I hear or see, because this is what I first saw it, and I said, wow, it is associated with what I'm getting ready to say. I saw a clothing line. It was a brand, and everybody was wearing it, and it was called Savage. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at this like, wow. So now we went from branding ourselves as kings and queens and individuals who have the utmost respect for ourselves, our people, our community, and, and, and the like, to now wearing a brand that says Savage. Yeah. Right? And then people had begun using this term as if it was something to be proud of. I'm a savage. Oh, yes. That, like, it, wasn't, that a, song, wasn't that a song? Megan, yeah. You know what I mean? And, and Beyonce, yep. don't get me wrong, I, I, love yep. the, I love those artists. They, they, have yep. their, they, have the, they have the ability to express themselves the way they want to. And with the Queen Bee, you know, Beyonce being one of the most prominent women in our community who has done so much for us, I take nothing away from her in what she has done. But a person who does not understand what the term savage means who actually accepts what someone in such a high position of influence is saying to them, they're imposing something upon themselves that could ultimately cause them to be damaged later on down the line. For instance, I would recommend this one book and what I'm, what I'm getting ready to say. Mm-hmm. I recommend a book for, for people to read. This is one of the books that I, I read during my, you know, my incarceration. I found it very, very helpful, useful, and effective in my life. And it's called Mind Magic. Mm. And it's by written by a woman named Marta Hyatt. Marta. So one one of the things that I learned when I when I well, one of the things that became a little bit more apparent to me um when I began studying psychology and a few other, you know, aspects of, of education and life and science was that you have the capacity within yourself to produce whatever effects you want. Like for instance, when you understand how the conscious works, the subconscious works, and how you produce you know, physical and tangible results by using the two, then you become a little bit more um, in control of your destiny and your reality. So I say that because a lot of people don't realize how much power their words hold. Your thoughts are the creation of everything and all of the circumstances that you currently exist in. And your words sometimes precede or come after your thoughts. More likely than not, it's going to come after your thoughts. But if you have a certain thought or a certain image or a certain concept in your mind when you conceive a thought and you constantly produce words that are related to those thoughts, then you are ultimately creating a reality for yourself, be it negative or positive. Mm. And you're perpetuating that into not only your lives, but all of the individuals who you connected to. Mm. Right. And so when you say, so without being too scientific, when you go back to something as simple as saying, I'm a savage, Mm -hmm. somewhere in your subconscious mind, because the mind knows everything, especially the subconscious, when you produce words like that and you associate yourself with them, you become that which you're producing in your mind, right? So when you say that you're a savage and you constantly say you're a savage and you begin thinking like a savage and you begin behaving like a savage then ultimately you are a savage whether you think that savage term is something positive or negative it's going to ultimately reflect 
what the origin of that word means. Yep. And and you know I, what I mean? yeah, and, and first of all, I just want to also acknowledge, you know, because this is gonna be people of my age group listening to this. First of all, let me just say this. When you listen to something and you hear a podcast or anything informational, you always listen objectively. Because when we first said something about that savage word, people went, Oh, you thinking too hard, or you 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 being too serious. But no, there there is some truth to what we are saying. And when you mentioned the Marta Hyatt book. Um, there is research to support what we're talking about here. And you don't have to agree with what we're saying, but just sure. listen and just understand that there are different perspectives. And, right. you know, it is important to understand these things because we are aimlessly, you know, uh, you know, going through life. But, sure. uh, yeah, subconscious is very important. Absolutely. And, and just for those listeners and, and individuals who may have um, received the words that I'm saying, that's why I gave a, a precursor to what I was saying when I said that everyone has a different perspective. Right. right. For instance, take someone from another time or say a prior time before savage meant what it means now. Right. Mm -hmm. And go all the way back to when savage not necessarily was originated, but when people took the definition of words seriously. Right. Mm -hmm. When you take the definition of a word seriously, then you ultimately begin to apply it in the term in which it was originally designed to be used in. For instance, we could take the N word. Oh, we boy. Know the N word was originally designed and used for. But now sometimes we just say it. And, and what some people say, we use it as a term of oh, endearment. Oh, boy, yeah. You could easily say that it's a term of endearment, but I guarantee you, if the wrong person uses it under the wrong set of circumstances around someone that they're not familiar with, they're going the to be exposed to a set of circumstances that they would prefer <laughs> not to be exposed to. Okay, let me you ask you. Know what I mean? Uh, let me ask so that's what I mean when I say words carry, you know, meaning. Absolutely. Let me ask you this. Now, sure. as an enlightened person and an intellectual, Sure. Honestly, do you use that word? I have, and and sometimes I find myself still using it to this day. Okay. Um, and th and and that's what I mean by when I say like some people will say a term of endearment. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily um consider it to be a term of endearment. I use it because I've made it a habit. Okay. And that's one of the habits that I have not um uh, uh, uh effectively chosen to break. Yeah. And I'm just I, I I'm just trying to be as straightforward and genuine as I possibly can. I do do my best to use it um, around individuals who I know would identify with the way in which I'm expressing uh -huh, it. Uh -huh. But at the same time, I still use it yep. knowing that it would probably be better suited if I didn't have it in my vocabulary at all. Yeah, I, I do make a constant effort to not use it. Um, growing up, it was never used in the house. True. And I, I'll never forget, I was in middle school and um, I was talking to some people and they used it as a term of endearment to me. I said, what did you say? Right. And they were, they looked at me like I was crazy for correcting because I was offended by that word because sure. I kind of, sure. I know where it comes from and sure. I know what it means. And so since I had never heard it, it was offensive to me because I am not that. Sure. And, um, Absolutely. Needless to say, there have been instances now since I'm, you know, away at college and around more people where I have sure. used it. But I do make right. I may I do make a constant effort to not use it because I honestly personally believe because some people may have different opinions. Mm -hmm. I do believe that if we don't want anyone to call us that, yes, sir. we shouldn't be yes, using sir. it. And yes, it really bothers me. I'll never forget freshman year of college in my dorm. 
chilling in my bed, reading something on my phone. And my next door neighbors, of course, white, having a party, right. listening to, I think yeah. it might have been ASAP Rocky or whoever. Okay. And the song said it repeatedly. Right. And they said it repeatedly. I jumped up. I was angry. But who am I to go over and get angry and say, you can't use that word? When you Someone who is just like me gave it and disseminated it through the entire country and said, it's okay to use it. Because you can't imagine. Well, you could. You could. Some people would say this is legitimate for us to make a song and put in there and just say, white people skip over that part. Right, right. I get you. But is that you. but is that really logical? What makes it okay for us to oppress ourselves rather than somebody it's else true. oppress us? I agree with you 100%, Dan. Yeah. I just I, I just 100%. think it's silly. I think we should we shouldn't really get and, and at the end of the day, although I agree with you, words have great value and uh great weight on how we respect and think of ourselves. Sure. But to a certain to a certain extent we have to also um we kind of have to rise above it and say, like, for instance, if someone was to call you at your job and say that to you, you also have to have a certain amount of maturity to not want to, uh, you know, throw them up against the wall for using that word that you and understand that you know that you're not one. And, and, well, and move forward. Well, to be to be one hundred percent honest, yeah, uh, me being as real as possible with you, being, uh-huh. um, within the last. I'll say three months that I can recall. Not only have I heard it used in a derogatory manner and specifically at certain individuals where I had to overlook it. I actually witnessed an individual and and I, it took everything in me to restrain myself mainly because bro, I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a different area of my life. And I also understand some people, I mean, look, everyone has a freedom of speech. True. Right? I also understand that I can't control other people's. I can only control my actions and my responses, right? Yep. Um, I, but I, I'm going to give a scenario, and I, I'll use just this one. This is just one of the most recent ones. So uh, it was during uh, break time, and uh, me and a few other uh, guys were were sitting on the, the steps to a, one of the buildings that we, we were building, and uh a guy came from upstairs. He was a welder and he was walking downstairs and he was, it was like, it was like, it was a very, it was a mix of uh, individuals, white, black, uh, Hispanic. It was a few of us sitting on the steps. Mm-hmm. I was the one sitting close toward the top. Cause I kind of like, like to distance myself when I'm on break, I like to chill. But anyway, so this one white dude, he walks down the steps and I emphasis on white because of what he said. So he walks down the stairs and he gets ready to turn and he was going down the second flight, but he was, I guess kind of cool with the guys who, we're sitting down closer to him. Mm-hmm. He's like, man, you guys look like a bunch of porch monkeys. And listen, and when he said it, I was actually on the phone talking to my wife during break, but I heard it. It instantly, I, I instantly went blank. I couldn't, I didn't even, re- even realize what my wife was saying to me. Everything just went out the window. And I immediately felt myself like wanting to get up yeah. to go and confront him. Not necessarily to do anything to him, but to confront him. Like, what do you mean? And you didn't address who you were talking to, but I had to quickly restrain myself like in a matter of milliseconds like you know what let it go and i have to do that on occasion because i've heard it on many occasions during my time in there and it's just one of those things man like you said the the key word that you said is maturity yeah you can't you can't if if i if i was to try to go around 
you know, preventing everybody from expressing themselves or saying where I would be, I would, that's the only thing I would be doing in my life. And and I can't do that. So it's like some things you just got to let go. Um, you just got to choose your battles, man. And that's one of those ones uh, I choose to deal with uh, as it, as it pertains specifically to my situation. But yeah, it definitely does happen a lot. Yeah, that's now that's crazy, you know, and I and I've I've rehearsed in my head if that was to happen. Yeah. And you know, it ain't, there ain't, there is no there's no there's no comparison to the real thing and the amount of rage I, I can't even imagine right. if I had heard somebody say that to somebody or to me. Right. And still having to basically, you know, turn the other cheek, but um also understanding that you have more to lose mm-hmm. and, and wilding out on that person because that's kind of mm-hmm. what they want us to do. They, 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 exactly. they, they want to get a reaction out of us because there's no way of defending that statement because he wasn't calling his own people that. He wasn't. But look, look, check this out. This is what's even more, I think, well, I'll say this. Mm-hmm. This is kind of what I believe has helped me, even though I'm not saying that I stand for it, of course, and I don't think every situation is going to be uh, that I don't think I'll react the same way in every situation. It's just I have to deal with it as it comes, like I said. But when I was incarcerated and I was on the inside, bro, I had to deal with that way more often than I would have expected. Like, I literally had officers call me that to my face. Oh, boy. Like, to my face. But it was under circumstances where I was either handcuffed or I was in a situation where I couldn't do anything or even more so just because just being real, I was going to lose. Yep. I was outnumbered. There was nothing I was going to be able to do. Even if I did choose to fight back, I would probably be one of the statistics that we're reading about today. I just, I would lose. And I'm all about winning, bro. So, you you know, you just have to, like I said, choose your battles. And I think that having been exposed to it for such a period of time, because it was constant in there um, in, in the various different circumstances. But I think that I've grown a certain immunity to it to the point where I can tolerate certain things without flying off the handle and being impulsive as I once was. Wow. Yeah, that's that, that's I mean, it's not un, it's not unexpected, though. It's, it's definitely yeah. not unexpected. Um, yeah. Quick question. What would you sure. say sets you apart from the millions that we hear about being recidivated back into prison? Um, to be honest, I, I think that one of the primary things that sets me apart from a lot of individuals who recidivate is the fact that I genuinely had a plan before I came home. That's one of them. I genuinely had a plan and I had plans before plans were probably even necessary for me to have plans. Um, like I said, I never accepted the fact I never accepted the sentence that they gave me in my heart. And so I continued to prepare myself to come home because in my mind, I was coming home on appeal. (laughs) I was coming home to take my life back. I was coming back to be much better than I was before I left. And as I, you know, got older and the more time I spent, of course, my plans changed, my thoughts process changed. I grew. And so uh, ultimately, I think that it has to do with my planning, because when I came and to be honest, that was from a from a personal perspective. On the other side of that was that I had a very, very supportive mate. I was just going to say your wife was very, very very supportive, very pivotal, very, very supportive. Not only was she 
supportive to my needs prior to me coming home. Actually, to be honest, to be quite honest, had it not been for her, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm certain that I wouldn't be home right now. Wow. Because she assisted me in so many different ways during the time that I was actually in there. Um, and so she helped. She was one of the individuals who helped me keep my ear to the street. She helped me to remain uh, in a peaceful state of mind when I was receiving denials. I received probably over the time I was incarcerated about that I can say off the top of my head, genuinely, probably about 40 to 45 denials that I had to face back to back to back. I mean, from Supreme Court, Court of Appeals, Federal District, uh, judicial every i received so many and, and so you many, still and you still didn't give up i never gave up ever i never ever 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 gave up ever i i i, I didn't care what they said because once i that's the it goes back to what i said about once i understood the language of law once i understood the language of law and i knew that i was applying it correctly and i wasn't just haphazardly throwing things at the court like a lot of uh, uh, uh peers do when they're in that situation just hoping that they're going to get some I wasn't dealing with hope. I wasn't necessarily even dealing with faith. I was dealing with what I knew. Mm. I was dealing with what was in front of me. I was dealing with the law. Mm-hmm. And I knew that even though it may have been applied incorrectly just based off of the specific judge, your judges who perspective who had uh, may have written an opinion or have uh, 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 offered uh, uh, an opinion in relation to law that may have changed or policy or procedure or whatever, I knew that what I was applying was 100% correct. For instance, um, in my case, what ultimately ended up giving me the key to my freedom was a case called Lockridge. It was People versus Lockridge. Mm. And Lockridge dealt with a sentencing issue having dealing with individuals who have, may have been um, sentenced um, unconstitutionally based off of their uh, OV uh, and PRV scores. And what I realized was that... Okay, just for the people, just real quick, what is a PRV score? Well, a PRV is a prior uh, record of offense variable. Um, and what that means is it's a point system that is utilized in order to enhance a person's sentence uh. Uh, at the time that they are being sentenced. For instance, okay, um, an OV score is an offense variable, meaning that you've committed uh, a certain type of crime and it's associated with a certain amount of points for each particular crime. The more violent and the more, um, uh, I don't necessarily want to say violent because all crimes are not violent, but the more intense or, 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 or elevated the particular crime is, then the higher the point and the greater the sentence could potentially be. And so once I begin to study those particular offense variables and uh, prior record variables, I recognized that I had not only been over sentenced, but that some of the offense variables used to enhance my sentence shouldn't have been applied to me under any circumstances at all. And when I originally applied this particular case to my case, um, it was a situation where it wasn't considered to be retroactive, but at the same time, it was a new case. So a lot of judges and prosecutors and to be quite frankly, uh, some criminal defense attorneys didn't even know how to apply that law. But being as though I had been in there for so long and studying each and every possible alternative that I had to help myself get out of prison, I knew it backwards and forward. I actually introduced it to um, an attorney who was so, I don't want to say against it, but was so 
unfamiliar with it mm-hmm. that she actually took it to the courts herself. And when she saw that it actually applied to me in the manner that I did, she actually helped to get several other individuals. Out. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Doing a lawyer's job without a law degree. How about that? <laughs> How about that? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm really honestly, you know, just, you know, just to share a moment, I'm in the middle of lightweight studying for the LSAT and really making a crucial decision of, am I going to move forward with that? Is that what I want to do with my life? Um, I have had an internship at the Court of Appeals. um, And, you know, I, I know lawyers and stuff like that, but I'm trying to really understand because I really don't feel like I should pursue that education and that degree without making a difference in someone's life. So when I make that decision, am I making the decision to help people consistently and make a difference? Mm. Because it's a lot of us who get these degrees and we, you know, do these things, but it's not bigger than us. Mm. And I, I'm starting to understand that my life is much bigger than me. And, mm. you know, I'm saying I, I, you have to live your purpose because if, if, if that if not, you're just really wasting your time and somebody else's. This is true. Yep. This is true. You have to have some form of a, a mark on this world that someone who may not necessarily even be related to you can look back on and gain something from. Otherwise, what is the purpose for you actually being here? That's that's how I see it, man. I yeah. think that we all have a purpose, whether we find out what that purpose is or not. I think we have the capacity and the responsibility to maximize every moment in our lives to try to um, become more of what um, our heart's desire is. I think internally everyone is guided in some way, form, or another towards their destiny. But once you have and can hear that voice or 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 become more in tune with that thing that's pulling you in a certain direction, you really do have to put forth the effort mm-hmm. to make that thing, you know, become more of a reality. Some people don't. You know, for instance, like I don't, you know, I don't knock people for what they do. I mean, I've done it before, like I've smoked weed and I've, I've done all of that, right? But I think now another thing that I've recognized you know, that I've noticed since I've been home, so many people um, are indulging in, in, in marijuana that, and I know how it makes you feel. I don't know how the new version makes you feel because it's changed, <laughs> you know, a, a certain, you know, it changed a lot. But what I have, what I do know about marijuana is it makes you feel in a certain way, kind of like, you know, forget it, man, I'm just chilling. I don't feel like really doing that. You know, it kind of puts you in one of those modes. Mm-hmm. It's like a euphoric feeling where you just want to just lay back and just enjoy whatever it is that you're experiencing at that time. And I think some people have gotten to the point where they abuse that um, that privilege so much that they sometimes have a tendency to miss um, something that may be very, very uh, enlightening and constructive in their life because they're, they, they constantly are um, imbibing on that feeling of I'm just chilling. Yep. You know what I mean? It's an escape. Because you can chill so much that you become froze. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's an escape. And, you know, we were talking about people just really seeming numb and people almost seeming like zombies. But uh, I heard something today. I don't know if I was listening to a podcast or just an interview, but someone was saying that any addiction that someone has is directly related to them not dealing with or running from something else. So a lot of people have issues or complications in their life. It's not even really issues, but things that they don't want to deal with. And that's the only way they are able to escape and feel normal, I guess. But, uh, you know, that's not necessarily what life life is about. And I'm not saying anything because some of us have it better than others. Life is not fair. 
Right. But you have to face your challenges head on and just deal with it and fight through it. Nothing, Absolutely. nothing is solved and nothing is um, overcome by just not dealing with it. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know. But uh, marijuana is not uh, for everybody. Uh, right. I'm, not, right, I'm, right. I'm, I'm sure you my dad is. He, 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 we, we don't do good with that. Right. No doubt. No, no. I, I, I had a bad. I told. I told him um, the first time I had. Um, I had uh, you know taken part in. I had a edible. Uh-huh. It was a uh-huh. terrible experience. It ain't, it's not for people who are naturally anxious or heady people. Man, right, right. I'm, when, I you, when I tell so you, when I tell you, when I tell you, I want to jump out a window somewhere. <laughs> and, he, and I called him. I called him, and he said, "Yeah." He said, "That's not for. That's not for us. <laughs> we don't need to do that." I said, "I wish you had told me before I left home." Right. Yeah. I, you know, it, it's funny because uh, I I can't recall <laughs> your dad ever, uh, you know, in, in indulging in marijuana. It's like he was always like afraid of it. He was always like, "No, nah, I'm afraid." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm That's good. Yeah. You know, we were younger. You know, everybody was you know experiencing in some type of way. But I can always recall him like, "Nah." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, we we don't do good with it. now. You know, just just for kicks, also. Sure. What was my dad like back then? You know, Man, yeah. hey, to be honest, your dad was a really, really cool cat. Uh, you know, with all due respect to his to his wife, uh-huh. he he was a lady killer, man. A uh-huh. lot of uh, a lot of a lot of women like it. Uh, E.L. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know I'm saying he's a real cool. Uh, a lot of a lot of uh, people refer to him as uh Michael Bibbins in in New Edition. Oh, really? Uh, because uh, you know that's how he uh you know that's that's who he somewhat resembled. Uh huh. Uh, and he was a real, real cool cat, man. He was, uh, he's very intelligent, definitely could play basketball. Everybody mm-hmm. know anytime we played basketball, he was one of the starting people on the team. Uh, he was just, he was just a real cool dude, man. He was real laid back. Um, of course he was the only child, so he had that solitude thing about him. He could be by himself mm-hmm. and not have to have any real friends. You know what I mean? He right. was, he was just a real cool dude, man, and uh, I, I enjoyed hanging with him. He was he is one of my best friends, man, in the whole world. Like, and we've been like that since we were kids. I mean, I've known your dad since I was about four years old. Wow. You know yeah, I mean? See, yeah. I said I thought um, I thought middle school, but four years old. old? That's crazy. Yeah, I know. I've been knowing your dad since about about four years old, man. He's a real, real cool cat, man. Yeah, real cool cat, man. Yeah, y'all literally have seen each other grow up for real. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. And so just to also close out on a positive note, you have sure. accomplished so much. I, now, if I'm not mistaken, you have a welding certification too, right? I do. Welding I do. certification, a steady career, marriage, sure. um, a, a new baby daughter, and a yes, solid, sir. and from what I see on social media constantly, a, so, a, a solid bond with your stepson. How did sure. you accomplish all this in less than two years? Well, I mean, I have to be honest, even though a lot of things I've accomplished since I've been home. Um, I think um, a lot of what I have accomplished, what is most meaningful to me has been established prior to me getting here. Like for instance, the relationship with my wife, um, that was something that was solidified during my time when I was in there. You know, mm-hmm. we got a chance to really build and know each other from the perspective of who we were on the inside. You know, a lot of times when we get into relationships um, that w- w- with our partners, we have a tendency to meet up. So we, our circumstances were a bit different. You know, normally um, a, 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 a relationship is gen- you know generated from, you know, being out here. You know, you might meet on social media. You might meet in person. You get a chance to really connect. And a lot of times it's more physical than anything 
Mm-hmm. Um, but with regards to my, my wife and I, our relationship was generated a little bit more on a spiritual, mental and emotional side because we weren't together physically. You know what I mean? And I think that we solidified a lot just based off of that. And so we were able to establish plans, establish goals and do a lot of things that had nothing to do with the physical wow. in order to establish what we origin what we eventually got to on, on, on the physical level. Like she and I became, you know, became authors for me being in prison. You know, we've we've written 14 children's yes. books. Um, yes. We have three children's books uh, published so far with another one to be published toward the end of this year. Um, she and I established uh, the first clothing line we had while I was in prison. Yeah. And when I came home, we established a, a few more. Vicky Mac, right? Um, Vicky Mac, right? Yeah, we have we have Vicky Mac. We have uh, Loyal Lifestyle. And we actually just started a new company called One Oak Detroit, where, you know, we uh, make uh, different face masks. We make T-shirts and, and other types of uh, uh, apparel and accessories um, and things of that nature. Um, she and I have, we have a, um, a nonprofit program that we've been building on. It's called uh, the Ray Amaya Kind Kids Foundation. And the Kind Kids Foundation is the acronym for Kids in Need of a Dad. Mm. And that started while I was incarcerated too, because one of the things that I recognized and acknowledged when I was in prison was the effect that the absence of a father um would have on the children like I was I was actually a part of a program called the youth deterrent program on the inside where I whereas I would sit down and kind of like build and communicate with a lot of uh children or or at-risk youth uh or or um, children who have been referred to the MDOC's program uh by either the state by a, a, a social worker or the court system they were they were they wanted to involve other children in the lives of someone who may have had uh, 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 the same type of um, um, reality that they may be headed toward in the event that they don't change their ways and stuff like that. It wasn't a scared straight program. It was kind of, you know, just a program where we build with the children. And I'm, I'm proud to say that uh, out of that program, approximately 95% of those children, you know, went on to graduate and, you know, do some really, really cool things with their life. Um, but with my, my stepson, he and I, you know, produced uh, a great relationship from the other side, too, because once again, we got a chance to build and he got a chance to meet me verbally prior to me coming home to be with him physically. And mm-hmm. so he knew what I was about before he actually, you know, before I actually got here. And, you know, man, I just I just took that foundation, you know, because a lot of people, I'm going to say a lot of men, a lot, especially in our community, a lot mm-hmm. of men look at, you know, being married and you know, having children as the end part of their life. Right. In all actuality, that's the foundation. Yeah. You know, you use that as your foundation to build on and inspire yourself to create more and more. And and that's that's basically what I did. And so um I think my motivation is them because they inspire me. They inspire me to do things. And so when I get inspired by some, it gives me that much more motivation to become productive. And um, I think that's what put me where I need to be at, man. That's amazing. Okay, just two two more questions to close out. And I think you kind of partially answered it, but I'm just going to go ahead and throw it out here. With sure. all the knowledge, wisdom, and experience that you have had in these 40-some-odd short years, what are you actively doing to clean your side of the street? Well, to be honest, I think that was one of the things that I had to uh, come to terms with when I was incarcerated. You know, I have played a significant role in damaging the streets, whether it be me having sold drugs or being involved with unsavory characters who may have been doing things, <coughs> excuse me, um, that, you know, ultimately gave rise to what you see now. I know that I partook in that. And so things such as, you know, the nonprofit program, 
that that my wife and I have created. The fact that I you know I do um, certain um, spoken word speeches. I also you know speak with the youth um, in various different capacities. Um, I often donate my time, my effort, my energy. Some a lot of times my money to um, individuals who may be in need. Sometimes it's individuals who um, may have mental health issues. Sometimes it may be um, young women who are having children at a at a young age, mm-hmm. and I, I I identify with that because once again I was a teenage father myself. Um, you know, I, I do my best to tithe as much as I possibly can, and I don't mean necessarily tithing in the church. Sometimes I tithe by just offering my time, you know, offering uh, money, offering clothing, anything that I can um, offer to people who I know are genuinely in need of what it is that I have or I may be able to offer. Um, I do that on a consistent basis. And I'm constantly growing. I'm constantly striving to be as productive as I possibly can. I think by me becoming an author or choosing to become an author and choosing to become a business owner and just choosing to become a better person, I think that inspires certain individual, at least that's what I hear, you know, when I look at some of my social media comments and to some of the posts that I put up there. And like I said, I, I think that just by me being myself, being a righteous person who's striving to continue to do the right thing, I think at this point, that's what I have to offer right now. But that's not going to prevent me from, you know, seeking other options to, to help, you know, make things better in the future. Amazing. Last question. What is the next big thing for Victor Walker? So what's the next big goal that you're reaching for? You've already started businesses. You've already started a family. You've already began to uh, make a difference in the community. But what else is what's the next big thing? Well, to to be honest with you, man, I have have a couple of projects that I'm working on. You know, I don't know if you actually knew this, but I've been an avid inventor for for years. I've been things from, you know, while I was incarcerated, I actually have two inventions that I'm that I have actively being um, uh, prototyped right now. I can't really speak on them um, just because of the, the nature of the types of inventions that I'm striving mm-hmm. to produce. But I, dam- I definitely plan to be a lot more uh, involved in the, the, the cosmetics industry. Mm-hmm. I definitely plan to be a lot more involved in the automotive industry and ultimately, I want to build a bigger and greater foundation to help give back to people. You know, a lot of people say that and they use that as some form of a cliche. But yep. I genuinely do want to help people. And the reason why is because over the time that I was incarcerated, I noticed how much help that lacked in our, I don't even want to say our community, just in general, because it was all sorts of people under those circumstances who just required and needed help um, in, in a bunch of different ways. And so ultimately, my goal is to generate as much as I possibly can to help um, continue build my legacy, make sure that my family, my children and all of the individuals that I'm associated with grow as much as they possibly can in the productive manner. And ultimately, like I said, just help give back in any time, any type of way that I possibly can. And that's that's my ultimate goal. And I think the more and more that I get involved in the industries that I'm planning on going to, the more opportunities and options I have available for me. Yep. And then just um, another thing, I want to give you the opportunity um, for exposure. Also, go ahead sure. and let the people know where we can find your uh, your uh, merchandise as well as to the clothing of uh, the book and um, also access to getting more information about One Oak. OK. OK. So uh, first and foremost, anybody who wants to follow me or in or are interested, um, my personal Facebook page is Lord Victory Walker uh, on Facebook um, as far as my um, One Oak 
uh, a company, you can go to One Oak Detroit at Facebook. That is number one, uh, O-A-K space Detroit. Um, we're also on Instagram. You can find our children's books on Amazon, uh, Barnes and Nobles, Volkers, Books and Print. You can also go to our Facebook page at um, Royal Tykes Children's Merchandise or Royal Tykes Children's Books. Um, you can also check us out at LoyalLifestyle1000.com. Uh, you can go to LoyalLifestyle1000 on Facebook and LoyalLifestyle1000 on Instagram. You can also check us out at the Loyal Lifestyle family on YouTube, and you can kind of get like a look or a glimpse into uh, some of the, 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 the aspects of our, my, my family life um, that we you know put on social media for other individuals to enjoy. Yep. Thank you, Vic, for um, all this valuable wisdom and dropping all these jewels. I really think that this is going to make a phenomenal difference. I really appreciate this being my very first episode. I am very proud of this. Uh, thank you so much, Dean. I, I really do appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me. And uh, anytime, anytime, man. You know, we family, so whenever, wherever, however, I'm here. Thanks. No problem. Wow, that episode was great, wasn't it? <laughs> All jokes aside, thank you guys for making it to the end of this episode. Uh, thank you for listening um, and giving the podcast a try. This is my first episode. But what I wanted to say is, is that, um, you know, thanks to Victor Walker, uh, I wanted to do his interview because his story is very inspirational. And he's overcome so many things and he's very positive and empowered right now in this community, um, in this country. Uh, some of us may feel like, you know, the world is against us and it, it, it may be. However, it is our responsibility to maintain um, our reality and make everything possible. And we can do that as long as we believe. And that was the most important takeaway. Also, you, you have to consider different perspectives. Nothing in life is black and white. You know, listening to Victor, if you met him today, you would never expect that he was incarcerated for roughly 17, 18 years. Um, however, he's overcome and his life is the epitome of positivity and success um you know that's kind of where i just want to leave it off also just some housekeeping if you love the podcast great if you enjoyed this episode great thank you for that i appreciate it but you can show that love by subscribing um you can show that love by sharing it with your family your friends your mama your brother your sister your dad um and also if you want to go to instagram follow me at underscore b dot hurt underscore that's underscore the letter b period heard h-e-a-r-d underscore and you can get constant updates much love for listening thank you we'll see you soon